I have an answer to why many don't believe. I have an answer. I mean, there's ample evidence to believe. John writes that he wrote the book of John that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's from chapter 20, verse 31. I have an answer to that question, why many don't believe. It's the same answer why many who believe don't obey. Why don't they obey? I have an answer. Jesus said, though, in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, but so many can't or won't believe or obey. Why? I've got an answer. I've got an answer. It's the same answer to the question, why are so many unthankful? That's how Paul describes the wicked. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, they are, he says, unthankful. I have an answer for the wicked unthankful. Why some are unfaithful. I have an answer for that too. Those who, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, have already drifted away. Those who don't or won't believe don't. Not because they can't. Not because they can't believe. Those who won't obey or be thankful or be faithful, they don't. Not because they can't. They could. But to sift through the evidence... To believe takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Loving enough to obey, that that takes a lot of energy. To be thankful or faithful, it, it requires something to be thankful or faithful. And the answer, many times why many don't or won't believe or obey or be thankful or, or be faithful, the answer is It's just too hard. It's just too hard. That's the answer. Many fall into a trap spiritually of being caught between a rock and a hard place. And rather than figure things out, they they just give up. You've heard that saying before, right? Between a rock and a hard place, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Some of you may feel that way this morning. Some of you may feel like you're caught between a rock and a hard place. It's truly an American saying, and it's not very old. It's not a very old American saying. The earliest known printed citation was in 1921. 1921 publication by the American Dialect Society. They published this in which they said that it meant to be bankrupt. That's what... You can imagine 1921, all those crashes starting to happen, that kind of thing. Meant to be bankrupt, to be caught between a rock and a hard place. But this saying is a little older than 1921. It's traced back to Western miners. This is a miner in Kansas. Traced back to Western miners at the turn of the 20th century who were faced with the choice between harsh underpaid work, the rock, on one side and unemployed poverty on the other hard place they were truly caught between a rock and a hard place and that's where the saying comes from 
Today it means in difficulty one is faced with a choice between two really unsatisfactory options. And the reason why so many don't believe or obey or are thankful or are faithful is because to do so is too hard and the alternative is just as bad. So why bother? Why bother? Just give up. Just give up. This happened to the disciples in Jesus' day. Yep, sure did. Happened to the disciples in Jesus' day. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Jesus walks on water. I mean, Jesus can do no wrong. He gains a lot of disciples. A lot of people are following him. A lot of people want to hear what this guy's got to say. Then Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Just nasty. Gross. And in verse 60 it says, Therefore many of his disciples, these are followers of Jesus, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They were caught between a rock and a hard place. That's what they were. They were caught between a rock and a hard place. They couldn't believe or obey and were unthankful and they became unfaithful because it was just too hard to follow anymore. Hard sayings. Do you find the Bible hard? Do you find the Bible a hard piece of literature? I have to admit, sometimes I find the Bible too hard. Sometimes. Too deep, sometimes. Too demanding, sometimes. The Bible is hard in two ways. One, the rock part. The Bible is hard to understand at times, isn't it? The Bible just, I mean, there's some passages that you read them and you go, what? Two, the hard place. The Bible is, well, sometimes we can understand those passages, but they're hard to live by, aren't they? Hard to live by. We find ourselves caught between a rock and a hard place. And if you find yourself, if you feel like you're caught between and a rock, a rock in a hard place today. I want to, I want to help you out. I want to show you, I want to show you ten basic tools to help you understand the Bible more. And then we'll look at some, <clears throat> look at some rocks. <coughs> excuse me, in hard places, and see if we can have a, a better attitude when faced with with hard sayings in the Scriptures. You know, sometimes it's not the problem but not being able to do anything about it. That, that, that's hard. You know, it's really not the problem that's hard, but sometimes we have a problem, we can't do anything about it, so we, it becomes even harder. Phil Sanders says, There is nothing wrong with doubts. There's nothing wrong with doubts so long as one is willing to study through the doubts. We've got to be willing to study through. But that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. You mean, I have a doubt, a rock, and I've got to study my way out of it, the hard place? Yeah. 
hey, the Christian life is, is an active life. It's not a passive life. Sometimes we've got to make the hard choices, don't we? Sometimes you get hard work to do. You know, the most recent time the saying caught between a rock and a hard place was used, the most recent time that I found was in the book by the same title, uh, Aaron Ralston wrote this book. It was also in a movie called 127 Hours. I don't know if you saw that movie as well. It's where a lone hiker, he, he falls down in this crevasse, and, and a boulder, when he falls down, this boulder falls on top of his arm, and it pins him there for 127 hours. That's the reason for the name of the movie, 127 Hours. And the only thing he's got is a dull pocket knife, and he has to, if you see, his, see him there in the picture, he has to cut his arm off with a dull pocket knife to escape. He was caught between a rock and a hard place, and he had to make a really hard decision. Some of you may be in that spot too. He had some hard work to do. Let me give you some better tools though. When when faced with hard sayings in the Bible, instead of just giving up and not reading the Bible anymore or, or whatever you might do, let me give you some tools better than a dull pocket knife. Here are ten ways you can make sure that you're not stuck when it comes to hard sayings in the Bible. Number one, understand that every passage has one meaning. Now, exceptions exist, but they do not contradict. As in the prophecies in the Old Testament, they had, they had an immediate meaning for the people of the end, but they also had a future meaning or consequence. Number two, when, when trying to understand hard passages, the simplest... And most obvious usually is the right meaning. Number three, sometimes the author will explain what he means in in Scripture, so let the author's explanation stand. Don't don't try to go around what he's talking about. Let Let it stand. Number four, context, context, context. A hard passage of Scripture must be looked at, must be interpreted according to what's going on around the the Scripture itself. Here we can find an example, an exception to number one. I'm making sure of number four. That would be Romans chapter 7 in our Romans class. We were talking about this this past week in, in our Romans study on, on Thursday mornings. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. It's, Paul, he's using the marriage relationship to explain why we're not under the old law anymore. Okay? He's not explaining the full explanation of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's not what he's doing in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. He's trying to explain, using the marriage example, why we're not under the old law anymore. Many have taken this passage out of context and used it to say that the only reason you can get remarried is if your spouse dies. Well, that's not... What the Bible says, in fact, it brings me to my next point, point five, harmony. No scripture will contradict another. Uh, People who take that view contradict what it says in Matthew chapter 19 about marriage, divorce, and and remarriage. If you have a hard passage, and the way you look at it, if it contradicts another passage, well, you're probably, probably mistaken in some way. You need to go back and look and study. Because number six, one passage will help explain another hard passage. We can always use the Bible to interpret the Bible. We really don't need a lot of man's opinion. Just let the Bible 
interpret itself. Number seven, it's best if you study the whole subject instead of, instead of just using Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 4 as the end-all be-all on divorce, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Why don't you study the whole subject, you see, rather than just take that one verse? That's a lot of the problem in the religious world today. A lot of people take one verse out of context and use it to explain some meaning that they want to explain. Make, number eight, make sure the language is not a problem. There are, there are idioms that we are not familiar with. Some pertain to some kind of cultural difference that they may have had in the Bible, such as this morning in class we were talking about, talking about smoldering wicks. Now, how would we know what a... We, we really don't understand that. Uh, you know, flax and, and wicks and, and smoldering. Unless we do a little bit of study, you might find a candle, blow it out and observe. I don't know. Or Abraham's bosom. In, in Luke chapter 16, it talks about Abraham's bosom. And, and why would you want to be there in paradise in Luke chapter 16? Why would you want to be held against Abraham's bosom? What does that mean? I love you, Derek, but I don't really want to fall asleep on your chest, you know? We've got to look at the idioms. Sounds kind of weird till you know what the idiom means. Which brings us to number nine. To understand a hard passage, understand the meanings or the meaning of, that, of the words in that passage. You know, my desk back here, you know, I've got lots of books in my office back here, but the, the only real book that I've got on my, on my desk besides my Bible is an American Heritage Dictionary, big thick one, because I don't know what all these words mean. There's no way I can. I'm not that smart. So I've got a, I've got a dictionary, and it tells me what these words mean. It takes work to study through hard sayings and doubts. It, it, and sometimes it takes a dictionary, words like propitiation, sanctification, justification. You know, Sarah was reading in 1 Samuel. She was studying 1 Samuel for, for Bible Bowl. And she asked me what the word womb meant. Hey, ask, hey got to answer that. You know, I wanted to send her to the dictionary. But I didn't know what kind of answer the dictionary would give her. So I gave her the daddy answer to womb. Hey, it makes a big difference in understanding what that passage meant. She understood then what the Bible was trying to say. Ask someone you trust, but take the time to understand words. The religious world is, is such a mess today because of all the fusses about words. Baptism, make melody, believe, faith, Christian. All those words, they've, they've caused a lot of problems, haven't they? Number 10, the 10th way you can help under, that can help you, a good tool to help you understand a hard passage is to rightly divide God's Word. For example, we can understand God's nature, we can understand God's mind in the, in the Old Testament, uh, but you know, a hard passage on grain, on grain sacrifices out of Leviticus, it doesn't apply to the New Testament Christian. So we've got to rightly divide that and, and make sure that we're... We're, we're following something that, that, as Christians, we've been told to, to obey uh, when we come to a hard saying. Now, with these ten tools in mind to help us interpret hard sayings in the Bible, let's examine some rocks and, and some hard places, okay? 
Some passages are as hard as a rock. They're immovable and they're hard to understand. I mean, there's, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference between a, a passage like Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and then Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, which says, here is wisdom, let him who, uh, who has understanding calculate the number of the man. His number is 666. You know, Mark 16, 16, that's easy. But Revelation 13, 18, 666, that's pretty hard. Big difference between those passages. You know, not only was the passage in John chapter 6 about eating flesh and drinking blood, that's hard. The, the Gospels are full of hard sayings. I mean, they really are. The Gospels are full of hard sayings. The rest of the New Testament has some doozies too. And even Peter, he wrote about Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, that Paul spoke of things that were hard or, or difficult to understand, but, but none of the hard passage in the passages in the Bible, none of them are impossible. None are impossible. Yet Peter wrote that some, he says, some want to take these hard passages and twist them because they're untaught and they're unstable. And, and brethren, I don't want you to be unstable. I don't want you to be untaught. I want you to know what God has in, in store for His special children. Yet there are so many hard sayings that I I had to limit myself. <laughs> I mean, you should see my outline. I got lots of them, but I had to limit myself. So I, I did. I, I limited myself to one book. You may think of more. I know there are, there are more out there. I didn't even get to all of them. I, I limited myself to the New Testament book of Matthew and just a few from, from that great book. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It's where this comes from. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect? I can't be perfect. How can anybody be perfect? That's a hard saying. That's hard to do. Think about it. To be perfect. But if you just take that verse, if you just take it and rip it by itself, you're doing yourself an injustice. You're doing yourself an injustice. How can I be perfect? I can't be perfect. That's too hard to understand. So many people, when they get to this point, they just give up. They just give up. No, no, look closely. Look at the context. Look, look where it is in, in, in the passage. Look at the, the words it, it contains. All right? The first word is like a neon sign. It, it, it's pointing you back to the, to the previous passage. We've got to get all Doug Parks on this passage right here. All right? Because we, we've got a therefore and we've got to see what it's there for. What is Jesus talking about just before this statement? Loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. When you love your enemies like God, you stand on the highest platform of perfection there is, God's. Understand that word perfect. The center column of my Bible has numerous passages to go to. And the term perfect, when we look at it, when we find out, it doesn't mean sinless. That's not what it means. That's not what we're talking about here. Just because I love somebody who's mean to me doesn't mean that I'll never sin again. That would contradict a passage like Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Matthew 5, 48 means that when I love like God loves, it's then in that love that I shall be perfect even as God. 
is perfect. To interpret this passage correctly, we just used every one of our tools. How about Matthew 8, 28? Excuse me, 8, 21. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Then another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, using our tools to chip away at this rock, we can become involved in a deep, deep study of customs and idioms and and cross-references. But remember, the simplest, most obvious meaning is usually right. Jesus knew the hearts of all men, including the man who's speaking here and his daddy. And Jesus draws for this man and for us today a very clear line. He draws for us a very clear line. You can't put anything in front of Jesus. You can't put anything in front of Him. You can't put your your daddy. You can't put your mama. You can't put your children. You can't put your wife, your husband, your job. Anything. In front of God. Now, how about a hard saying in Matthew 19? Matthew 19, verse 24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've grown up with this passage. I've grown up with this passage and I've grown with this passage. Let me say it that way. When I was a boy, I was taught that a needle's eye was a hole in a wall that camels were made to kneel down and crawl through. And some of you may have been taught that, but I I don't believe that about this passage anymore. I was wrong then. I'm right now. (laughs) I was wrong then. I'm right now. I, I, I can just see Jesus using an object lesson here. Remember... Every passage has one meaning. So 15-year-old Chad and 46-year-old Chad can't both be right. Okay? A camel kneeling down, crawling through a hole, just never seemed simple to me. Never seemed like that was the right meaning to me. But what really made the difference for me was the context of the passage. What's happening before and after? We read this. Just before this, the, the rich young, young ruler, he, he goes away sorrowful. He goes away sorrowful because he, he cannot give up his, his, his riches. He can't give up his stuff. He can't give up his stuff to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus asked him to do. That's when Jesus makes the statement, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then comes our, then comes our, our proverb, our parable. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The camel is the rich man. The eyes, the church. He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking about the church. Jesus' disciples, they're they're astonished, it says. They're astonished in the original language. That that word carries with it the meaning of being hit by a blow. We'd we'd say that they were hit by a ton of bricks. They were astonished. They were amazed. They they were hit by a ton of bricks. What? Then They said, what? Who can be saved then? Who then can be saved? The biggest animal in their land at that time was a camel. 
Going through a needle's eye was impossible. Think about a little needle's eye. That's impossible. You know, if it had been a big hole in the walls, you know, something could have been done. I mean, they could have enlarged the hole, you see. They They could have made the hole bigger for the camel to go through. There's no way. It's impossible. It's impossible to take a, a camel and put it through the eye of a needle. Unless you cut it up in little bitty pieces and then feed it through there just a little bit at a time. Yuck. It's impossible. But Jesus said, with men, look at him, what he said. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, these are hard to understand sayings. Sometimes we've got to use rock crushing tools to understand them. But there are more hard sayings, and I'll call these the hard place. You know, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. These, these are the hard places. And we understand these passages very well. We understand these passages I'm about to show you very, very well. But the reason they're hard is because, not because they're hard to understand, but because they're hard to live by. These are passages, plain passages, but they're hard because they require us to do something. There are so many, but let me pull from just one book. Turn to the book of Ephesians. And just two chapters from that book. Turn to chapter 5 in Ephesians. Let me show you what I mean by hard to live by. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Paul has been talking about Christ and the church. The great mystery, he calls it. And verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let each one of you, husbands according to the context, let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Now, husbands, you know... You need to love your wife. Many of us don't know what that means, but ask your wife. (laughs) Ask your wife. She'll tell you what that means. She'll tell you what it means to love her. And when she does, and when she tells you her needs, guys, isn't that hard to do? Some of those things she's going to tell you are going to be hard to do to love your wife is hard to do because what she wants what she needs are hard to do and this hard saying and and the inability of our men in our day to do the hard work is a major factor why marriages fail in the United States It's not the only reason. Sometimes it's not the reason at all. But if we, men, if we love our wives, we'd have a better marriage. Wives, it says, respect your husband. Now, you know what that means. Why don't you? Why don't you? Well, just look at him. (laughs) No, come on now. Ask your husband what he needs. He'll tell you. 
and listen to him. Listen to him. But that's too hard. That's too hard to do. Ladies, ladies, if you respected your husband more in the church, more in this community, more in this, in this state, more in this country, the marriage, divorce, the, the divorce rate in this country would plummet if you respected your husband the way the Bible says. Dr. Emerson Edrich, he wrote in his book on marriage called Love and Respect, that many times in our our marriages we we know how to fix things, we know what to do, but he treats me without love, so she treats him without respect, and he doesn't love her, and she doesn't respect him, and there's no love, and there's no respect, and there's no love, and there's no respect, and they're on this crazy cycle that just rolls on to divorce. Someone has to stop in this cycle and say, and and just get off and say, I'm going to love her anyway, whether she respects me or not. Or I'm going to respect him anyway, whether he loves me or not. To go from a crazy cycle to a an energizing, motivating cycle where, where his love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love and his love motivates her respect and her respect motivates his love and etc., etc., etc. Isn't that a better way to live? Just do it God's way? Look at another. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. How many of you know children who won't mind? Don't raise your hand. Dana, don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. How many of you know children won't mind? In his book, Strong Fathers, excuse me, her book, her book, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, Dr. Meg Meeker, she writes, she writes this, Sure, other kids are experimenting with sex and drugs and alcohol, but other kids aren't your daughter. And your daughter will respect you more if you don't give in. Dr. Meeker writes, let me tell you a secret about daughters of all ages. They love to boast about how tough their dads are. Not just physically, but how strict and demanding they are. Why? Because it allows daughters to show off how much their fathers love them. If only you could be privy to the private conversations of girlfriends. You're right. Do you hear what the good doctor's saying? Parents, our children want us to be tough. They want us to lead. And our children will obey us. They'll follow us. If we give them something to follow... But that's, that's hard. That's, that's really hard, isn't it? It's hard to lead. and it, It's hard to obey. It's hard, verse 4, not to provoke your children to, to wrath when they just seem to ask for it. <laughs> These are hard sayings. Hard to live by. But once we understand them, we, we must try. We must try. And not give up. 
You know, the passages that are hard to understand, once we understand them, sometimes they become passages that are hard to live by as well. Truly, you can become caught, become caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, once we understand Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, that being perfect does not mean being sinless, but means that we're to love our enemies, when we, when we, when we understand that passage, we, we really only overcome half the battle. We must then apply this meaning to our lives. Love our enemies. And that's a hard saying in itself. Or in Matthew 8, verse 21, let the dead bury their own dead. When we understand that passage to mean that we can't let anyone or anything get between us and Jesus Christ, well, that's hard to do. The hard saying just got harder. It's one thing to understand, it's one thing to understand, and it's another thing to practice. You know, my wife, she knows all about CPR. As a nurse, she knows all about it. She's certified. But if you were laying there dying of a heart attack, all that knowledge wouldn't do you any good if she didn't get over and use it. But it's hard to put these teachings and commands into practice. It's, you know, in this country, we really don't need anything. And we have become the camel. We have become the camel facing the eye of the needle. Because we're rich. But we must keep trying. We must keep trying. We must be perfect. We must follow Christ no matter what the cost. We must love our wives and respect our husbands and obey our parents and raise our children in the Lord. You know, back where we started in John chapter 6 when Jesus said eat my flesh and drink my blood and the disciples says this is too hard to deal with look at verse chapter 6 verse 67 Jesus said to the 12 the 12 disciples do you also want to go away you may feel like you're caught between a rock and a hard place and you don't know which way to turn and Jesus is asking you, just like he asked those, those disciples those thousands of years ago, he's asking you today, what are you going to do, give up? Are, are you going to give up? Don't. Answer like Peter in verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christians, you know this too. You know this. Don't give up. Push on. Smash the rocks and get out of the hard places. And hey, if you're, if you're willing to make the same confession that, that Peter did in, in front of these people here today and be baptized... Come and do so this morning. The reason why you won't, well, it's because, probably it's because it's too hard. Put what you understand into practice. Believe. Obey. Be thankful. Be faithful. Come right now. It's together.